0: Los Angeles is a desert. How many uh, have, have heard that factoid? Los Angeles is a desert. Raise your hand. All right. Well, you know what? It's not true. Factually, it's not true. And, you know, I think being a lifelong Angelino with an unusual love for this city, um, I feel like I'm compelled to come to her defense. Uh, listen to this article... Um, written, it's kind of like a a nerdy um, climate article. Uh, It says, It's hard to go a day in Southern California without overhearing someone say, Well, you know, L.A. is a desert. Let's get this out of the way immediately. Los Angeles is 100% categorically not a desert. So now you know. This morning, our topic is about life in the desert. And even though we don't physically, obviously, now you know, we don't physically live in in a desert, we do, spiritually speaking, live in a desert. Life in the desert, spiritually speaking. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, was written uh, to a group of Christians who were struggling with a couple of things. One, they were struggling with persecution, and two, they were struggling with temptation. And it began, it, it began to become too much for them, and they started to be tempted to go back to way, the way life was before they were in the church, before they were Christians. So Hebrews was written to say, I see why you're struggling. I see where you're wanting to go. But Jesus is better. So trust him. Come back and hang on. Now, these Christians were formerly religiously Jewish, and so they were tempted to go back to Judaism. So, for 10 chapters, chapters 1 through 10 in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews walks through redemptive history to show how all the milestones of redemption. Like angels in chapters 1 and 2, and Moses, and the priesthood, and even the sacrificial system itself were all merely road signs pointing to Jesus. Now, t- toward the beginning of that argument, Hebrews talks about and showcases Moses and how he led the people well, and he led the people in the Exodus, but that Jesus is even—he's an even better leader than Moses. Moses led the people well, but he only pointed to the culmination of Jesus' leading. Then in chapter 3, starting in verse 7, which is our text this morning, Hebrews continues to tell that same storyline about being led in the Exodus through the wilderness to the promised land. And Hebrews is saying, Jesus leads us to an even better promised land, and that's new creation, new creation. So this morning's study is entitled, A Better Destination, Listening and Trusting in the Wilderness. It's the desert before the rest. But before we jump into chapter 3, I want to give you a little bit of background. And rest, the concept of rest, biblically, opens up, starts as early as the first five books of the Bible. And as you've been learning on Sunday evenings if you've been coming, what is the name, this is quiz, what is the name of the first five books of the Bible? I'm not I'm not hearing it. Torah. Yes, Lex. You probably have illustrated notes about that. Torah. You should come you should check out her notes. They're very well illustrated. Um so the Torah, the Torah is five books of the Bible. It's a unified collection. They work well together. It's not only the first uh, part of the Bible, but it's also the heart of God's self-disclosure. It's his way of introducing himself to humanity. The Torah is the story of God. It's a description of God. It's the way of communion with God. And not only is it the way of communion with God, the Torah is the very voice of God himself. The prophets constantly point back to Torah. Jesus quoted the Torah more than any portion of Scripture. So we know how important the Torah is. The Ark of the Torah opens and closes outside a land of blessing. You have Genesis, where the people left, were exiled out of, say people, I mean Adam and Eve, were exiled out of a land of blessing, a land of promise. So you have an opening of people outside God's presence and God's land of blessing. And then you end in Deuteronomy on the edge of Jordan waiting to go into a land of blessing. So you have these bookends of being outside a promised land. Book two... If you have book one opening with people outside of Promised Land, you have book two that is a choosing of one family. And in the book of Exodus, which is the second book, he rescues them from bondage in Egypt. And Exodus tells a story of a journey through or from Egypt to Mount Sinai. And they arrive at Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. In the middle, you have the third book. That's the very center of Torah. And it's the account of their time at Mount Sinai. And it's them receiving these instructions about uh, communion with God, that God's very presence was on the top of Mount Sinai. Book four is the account of them finally leaving Sinai, going into the wilderness. And then book five is Deuteronomy, as I said, outside of God's land, outside of God's rest. So you have God, God at the middle of Torah, at Mount Sinai and you have the beginning and end with uh, being outside a land of blessing. So this morning our study focuses in on life outside the land and our response to what is promised and not yet obtained. They had witnessed his miraculous power. This is the people in in the in the wilderness, people in the desert. they they'd witnessed his power to conquer enemies. They led him by a pillar of fire and cloud. And also, he provided them on a daily basis. Daily miracles. Yet, even on the edge of the promised land, they complained. They didn't believe, and they didn't listen to God. And their selfish hearts preferred Egypt to the obstacles of the promised land itself. And God responded by not letting them enter. Eventually, the following generation, it's the children of those who didn't enter, made it into the land with Joshua, And the 12 tribes settled in the land. Another generation passed of being in the land, and people began to do what was right in their own eyes. So it was a quick downward spiral in the land itself. And people followed after other gods. Almost 500 years later, after that group of people entered the land, God raised up a man named Samuel and then David to lead God's people, a people that had done what was right in their own eyes, Lead them back to God. And 1 Samuel 7, God promised David that his descendant would be the seed to reverse the curse and would be the one to lead them back, lead the people back uh, to him. And it was a promise of new creation. And it was in David's day, when he received that promise, that he wrote Psalm 95. And that psalm is important to our text because it's repeated seven times in our text this morning. As a way to remind the people about their wilderness wandering, their, their, the people, that their, their ancestors before them, he wanted to remind them of their wilderness wandering and the need to trust God and how even in David's day, even in the land of promise... They hadn't yet arrived at God's finished work of restoring creation. They still hadn't received the promise of the snake-crushing, curse-reversing seed. The people of Israel would sing Psalm 95 in celebration of a holiday called the Feast of Booths. Um, what are, let's just call it, what are your, what's your favorite holiday? You could call it out. Christmas, Christmas is good. Fourth of July is fantastic. Fourth of July is great. Um, it's when, you know, communities of people, you know, gather and just watch the sky. It's just amazing. Like, it's cool. that the neighbor, the neighborhood coming out. And in some ways, I feel like uh, the people of Israel, they came out. Their communities came out under the sky, and they put up tents around. They, they, pil- they made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and they just lined the streets with tents. It was like outdoor camping all over the city. And so it was just a way for the community to bond, and they had a a sweet time of fellowship and just remembering, remembering the time in the wilderness, a a time of deliverance. But the song goes from celebration, Psalm 95, this song they would sing. The first half of it goes from celebrating God's provision in the wilderness to closing with some words of warning. It turns into a reminder of those people who were so provided for but failed to believe God. And they slipped back in their own comfort and they failed to do, what, do the hard thing and to trust in the wilderness. So David writes this psalm looking back to that wilderness generation, but also looking forward to new creation, to what was promised to David, a throne of his seed that, w- that his descendant would sit on forever. And then over a thousand years later, a thousand years after Psalm 95 was penned, David's promised seed was born. And he defeated sin and he defeated death by rising and becoming the first fruit of new creation. But in an unusual, unexpected twist, he left. The king left, the one who was supposed to sit on the throne forever left. And his promises to restore creation, he says, would, be, would arrive when he comes back. The church was born, and it explodes, but not without persecution and affliction. And a group of Jewish Christians in the church began to wonder. They had left Judaism because they, their Messiah had arrived. This is it. This is the seed. But they began to wonder wait a minute, this was not part of the plan. Is this worth it? Is this real? And the author of Hebrews, he writes, in order to respond to this wavering. And in chapters 3 and 4, he quotes Psalm 95, as I said, consecutively seven times. Just drilling it into them. So you have the original wilderness generation. Then you have... 500 500 years later, David's generation that was singing this Psalm 95. And then a 1,000 years later, you have Hebrews 3 and 4 quoting and pointing back to Psalm 95 generation and the wilderness generation. All for the sake of saying, listen to God. Believe him and hold on through the tough time in the wilderness. This life, it's a wilderness. And you can have a great start in the faith, but it doesn't matter if you don't maintain the faith you started with. This isn't about works. It's about believing God and not your own hearts. So let's look at the text together. A few items to look out for. The unit of thought is sadly broken up by a, couple, well, by a chapter division. And so they should have put chapter 4. They should, I, I don't think they should have put chapter 4 in the middle of this. The unit is 3-7, so we're going to start at verse 7, and then we're going to go all the way to 4, verse 13. Second thing to notice is the repetition of Psalm 95 over and over again, starting with the—I with the, um, mentioned Psalm 95, 95 is two parts. The first part, celebration. You know, they were in the streets, like, singing this song of celebration. And the second half was the warning. That half, the warning half, is fully quoted— At the beginning of our passage. And the third thing I want you to notice, you'll notice how Psalm 95 quotes, um, sorry, this passage quotes Psalm 95, and it it sort of forms a mirror of itself. It's called the chiasm, but we'll look at that towards the end. It's, It's kind of like a sandwich of phrases. It's a way to emphasize ending, the beginning and end, and also what's in the middle. So there's five points for you today from this passage. Five points. It's pretty simple. Number 1 introduction, number 2 past, number 3 future, number 4 present and number 5 conclusion. Introduction, past, future, present and conclusion. It's it's like a good term paper, it's like a it's like a research paper, you know, in your introduction you have uh you have what your points are going to be and his points are past, future, present and then he has a conclusion. So, it's well written uh uh, research paper that Hebrews is writing. So point one is introduction. The author opens with a big quote, uh, the second half of Psalm 95, and then he gives an, an exposition of it. He gives the introduction to what, where he's headed. So let's read uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, that's interesting, real quick note, Saul, David wrote this psalm, but notice how Hebrews, who, who get, he, he gives credit to, he gives credit to God lest there be any, in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have, overcome, for we have, over, have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original confidence firm to the end the author gives an overview of where he's headed in the rest of our passage of Scripture this morning. He tells us about the past generation, about their unbelief, and then he talks about the present, specifically mentioning today. And then he points to the future, almost like the people are at the edge of the promised land, on the edge of tomorrow, by saying, we have come, we have come to share in Christ, we're about to share in Christ, but we're not there yet because the next sentence says, if, if we indeed hold our original confidence firm to the end. So the destination, it's in front of the people. That's the introduction. Now point two, the past. Let's look at 3.15 through 4.2. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, sounds like he's repeating himself, he is, they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news has come to us just as to them, but the message they hear did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So, you have the author's main point here pointing us back to that wilderness generation, talking about how blessed they were to have a front seat of God's power. And that, got, that kind of God's power wasn't on display all throughout the Bible. There were, there were pockets of miraculous power, and they had a front row to one of them. And, the recip- and they were recipients of his rescue and provision. These people watched the plagues unfold on their oppressors, And the Red Sea parting and collapsing, and the power of God at Mount Sinai, hearing his very voice and his presence in the wilderness. These were not outsiders. This isn't the world. These are people who are on the inside. And in their selfishness, and in their addiction to comfort, even pointing back to to Egypt and saying it was much more comfortable there. They rejected God and his promise. Point three, the future. Next, Hebrews points us to the future, in an, but in an, kind of an unexpected way. Uh, look at chapter four, verses three and four, and he once again quotes Psalm 95. For we who have believed enter, or will enter, that rest, as he said, As I swore in my wrath, here it is, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, quote, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. This, point three, is the middle of his argument. This is the center of the sandwich, this is where the meat is. So the question is, why does Hebrews quote Genesis 2-2 here? Why does he mention God's rest here? Is it just an analogy? He, just, he looked in the back of his, of his Bible at the Concordance, and he saw, okay, where's rest? Oh, rest is actually in Genesis 2-2. So. No, there, the author of Hebrews is much more brilliant. He's a genius here. What was day seven a completion of? creation. Remember remember what Adam and Eve were exiled from, the garden. Perfect creation and the presence of God in that perfect creation. Now, this isn't just a general rest. The author is pointing us back to creation to show us that this is our future destination. This is the better promised land. And it's what the promised land pointed to. Look at Revelation 21 says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is what? With man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. God's rest, in day seven, was his stamp of approval on creation. And it will be a stamp of approval on new creation. This is the future for those who keep their faith fixed on God. Point four the present. Look at chapter four, verses five through seven. And again this passage, in this passage he said, David and Holy Spirit, They shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who for who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So Hebrews now shifts from looking back into the past, then looking to the future destination, then calling his readers to, like, he calls them to respond today. He, he, he points them back to today. Even using David's very own words, saying today, emphasizing the pressing need to make a decision not to go back to the easy life, not to go back to sin, but to dig in and hold on for the long haul. It's gonna be tough. Life is tough. The Christian life is hard, it's a journey through the wilderness but make the commitment to listen to God's voice today. Lastly, point five, the conclusion. This section closes with a play on words, and uh, it concludes with indirect quotes of Psalm 95. So let's read uh, 4, 8 through 13. For if Joshua, now in, in the original... Uh, language, uh, both Hebrew and Greek, you'll know that this word, this name, Joshua, Yeshua, uh, is uh, confusing sometimes because you don't know if he's talking about Yeshua, meaning um, uh, Jesus, or Joshua, because it's the same name. So when they read this, the moment they read this, they would have thought, oh, Jesus. But then the next phrase says this, had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So context tells the reader, oh, this is another Yeshua. This is the Yeshua that did lead them to the promised land after Moses, but it wasn't the final promised land. It wasn't the final destination. Verse 9, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Verse 10. For whoever, or some translations actually say, he who, which LSB nails this, and even capitalizes the H. He who has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. So, the author gives us a play on the name Yeshua, making a comparison. One Yeshua only pointed to a greater and final Yeshua who would make it to the better promised land. He is the only one who has made it to the final destination. While God accomplished creation and rested, Jesus accomplished redemption, and in his resurrection, He now rests as a stamp of approval on the work he accomplished. Now, while millions of believers have come, lived, and died, and entered God's presence, there is a sense in which they also too wait for what only Jesus himself has, and they don't have physical resurrection life, a new creation. A reversal of the curse, and Jesus bringing about new heavens and new earth. Now, let's look back at all the Psalm ninety-five quotes this far in our passage. And if you write, if you're one to write in your Bibles, you could uh, circle um, some things or write write some things here. Okay. So, and if you don't, if you're not comfortable writing your Bibles, then I've put it. I'm going to put it up on the screen. So that you could, you know, like keep your Bible clean. But hey, it's okay. You could write in your Bible. Um, so let's circle the first line of our section today. It's so the first quote of Psalm ninety-five. The first line: Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Put an A to the left of that line to indicate it's so the first line of Psalm ninety-five. This section of Psalm ninety-five. Then. Uh, Circle, they shall not enter my rest at the bottom of that quote and put a B next to it, okay? That's the last line. Okay, now circle uh, the quote in Psalm 315. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. That's an A because it's repeating the first line of Psalm 95, okay? Now circle the quote in uh, 315, so it's 315, now uh, four three. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And put a B to the left of that. Because that's the last line of Psalm 95. So, so far we have what? What's the, what's the, uh, the pattern? A, B, A, B. Okay, cool. We have a little pattern. Okay, normally, what comes next in our pattern? If you have this A, B, A, B pattern, what comes, what comes next? What should come next? A should come next, right? But... Not here. Um, Circle the next line, 4 verse 5. They shall not enter my rest. What's that in our pattern? It's a B. Okay, so that throws us off. We have a little conundrum here. So we have A, B, A, B, B. What's the next quote? 4, 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. What line is that? It's an A. Okay, wait a minute. Now we have A, B, A, B, B, A. So we have a new pattern now, okay? So if we were to fill out the pattern with two more, what should come next? B, right? So we're looking for a line about rest. Look at 411. Let us therefore strive to what? Enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same disobedience. That's the concluding appeal here. Now we need an A-line, something about the voice of God and our hearts. Look at verse 12 and 13. For the word of God, the very voice of God, is living and active Sharper than any two-edged sword piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of what? What is it? The heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but, are all, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him, to give whom, to him to whom we must give an account. The crescendo of this passage closes with the opening of Psalm 95. Today, if you hear God's voice, we do. We hear God's voice. We have the word of God in our very hands. He is speaking to us. Are we listening? And when we listen it will pierce our very hardened hearts because that's the problem life in the wilderness us questioning should we should we stick with this should we go back to the easy life should we go back to life before faith the problem is a hard heart and the word of god pierces through our very hard hearts this life is a difficult life it's life in the wilderness Don't fall away from the faith that you once started with. Dig in for the long haul. Listen and trust God's voice while living life in the wilderness. The promised land will be worth it. Let's pray. Father, this is a difficult life. Faith is hard, especially with being in such a a time is this. Our faith is questioned, and sometimes we doubt. But God, I pray that you would guard us from our very own hearts, of complaining, of, of not trusting you. I pray that as we walk through the wilderness, that we would listen to your very voice, a luxury of having Bibles in our hands, so that to be, have access to your very, your, your very own voice, And we know, God, your word does not return void, so I pray we would find your word precious, and may it do its work on our hearts. Open our eyes to behold wonderful things in it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.